Good afternoon. I'm Dr. Peter McCullough, and I'm an internist and cardiologist and professor of medicine at Texas A&M University School of Medicine. I'm on the Baylor Dallas campus, uh, and I've been integrally involved in the response to COVID-19. So my testimony as I sit here today is COVID-19 has always been a treatable illness. A very large study from McKinney, Texas, another one from New York City, show that when doctors treat patients early who are over age 50 with medical problems with a sequence multi-drug approach with the available drugs, uh, four to six drugs that are available uh, uh, to them, there's an 85% reduction in hospitalizations and death. 85%. 85%. I want you to remember that number. 85%. We have over 500,000 deaths in the United States. The preventable fraction could have been as high as 85% if our pandemic response would have been laser focused on the problem, the sick patient right in front of us. We were focused over here and focused over there and focused on masks and what have you. Laser focused, sick patient, treat them. We lost focus on the most fundamental so thing. I noticed a disturbing trend, and the trend was uh, no effort to treat patients who are sick with COVID-19 uh, at home or in nursing homes and it almost just seemed as if patients were intentionally not being treated, allowed to sicken at home and get to the point where they couldn't breathe and then be admitted to the hospital. And uh, it, it just seemed it's like such an unusual response. If this had been any other form of pneumonia, respiratory illness, or any other illness in the human body where as an infection, if we start early, we can actually treat much more easily than wait until patients are very sick. But I can tell you, doctors can work with drugs four to six drugs in combination, supplemented by vitamins and nutraceuticals, and they can guide patients at home, even the highest risk seniors, and avoid the dreaded outcome of hospitalization and death. We had a media doctor um, who uh, gave advice over the course of two hours, and then it came out, uh, he's giving advice for America actually on treatment, and it came out through the questioning that he had never seen and examined a patient with COVID-19. And his, his recommendation was, don't treat it. Just go ahead and die or be hospitalized. That was his recommendation. And my comment, I put it into Senate testimony. I thought that recommendation was reckless. So he is a position of authority. I'm in a position of authority. And our relationship to the nation is one of beneficence, meaning that we should be making decisions and making statements that's in the best interest of the people. For that minority witness, to recommend no treatment is reckless. No treatment can only lead to bad outcomes. There's two bad outcomes to COVID-19, hospitalization and death. The second premise, if we don't do something before the hospitalization, we can never stop it. There's such a focus on the vaccine. Where's the focus on people sick right now? We have a complete and total blank spot on treatment. It is a blanking phenomenon. Patients actually think that the virus is untreatable. And so what happens is they go out to get a diagnosis. Now, I'm a COVID survivor. My wife in the galley is a COVID survivor. My father in a nursing home is a COVID survivor. You get handed a diagnostic test. It says, here, you're COVID positive. Go home. Is there any treatment? No. Is there any resources I can call? No. Any referral lines, hotlines? No. Any research hotlines? No. That's the standard of care in the United States. And if we go to any one of our testing centers today in, the, in Texas, I bet that's the standard of care. I bet that's the standard of care. No wonder 
We have had 45,000 deaths in Texas. The average person in Texas thinks there's no treatment. They honestly think there's no treatment. There was a near total block on any information of treatment to patients. A near total block. I can tell you the interesting thing was there was 50,000 papers in the peer-reviewed literature on COVID. Not a single one told a doctor how to treat it. Not a single one. When does that happen? I was absolutely stunned. So the deviations from normal are tremendous. Uh, the public health agencies and major medical centers offering no tr early treatment for patients. Major medical centers not even trying. They didn't even try to come up with protocols to, of new drugs or putting old drugs in combination. They didn't even try. The government agencies doing no early treatment research of any significant impact. Um, um, doctors, in terms of their care, denying patients early treatment. This is a stunning thing. So if a patient called in and said, you know, I have a bladder infection, I'm worried about it going to my kidneys, that doctor would prescribe antibiotics and get going. But if a, another patient called in and said, I got COVID-19, the doctor would say, sorry, I can't help you. You know, th this type of uh, uh, um, a dichotomy and deviation from practice is an extraordinary. I'd encourage this committee to actually look at what's being done and ask, is there any rationale? Is there any rationale for anything? We've had a great departure from the usual approach to you know, treating this infection. We should have had large randomized trials. We left Americans with no treatment, people in the world. In fact, it was worse than that. When doctors tried to give treatment, uh, those doctors were reprimanded. Their licenses were threatened. We've never seen this before. My license was, was never threatened if I try to take care of an asthmatic or take care of a patient with a staph infection. Why would my license be potentially threatened with a um, attempt to treat a COVID-19 patient. It was really unprecedented what's happened. I think, it, I think people ought to be disturbed with this idea that, um, you know, it's almost as if there was a wave of things that all worked to accomplish something. And that is promoting fear, promoting hospitalization uh, and death and, and, and suffering. So what happened, I can tell you what happened. What happened in around May, it became known that the virus was going to be amenable to a vaccine. All efforts on treatment were dropped. The National Institutes of Health actually had a multi-drug program. They dropped it after 20 patients, said we can't find the patients. The most disingenuous announcement of all time. And then warp speed went full tilt for vaccine development. And there was a silencing of any information on treatment. Any. Silencing scrubbed from Twitter, YouTube, can't get papers published on this. You can't, we can't even get information out in our own medical literature on this. There's been a complete scrubbing. So this program has been one of try to reduce the spread of the virus and wait for a vaccine. And when we, va when we vaccinate, all efforts have to be on vaccination. And we know the vaccinated immunity is not complete because we've already had thousands, over 10,000 breakthrough cases because of the underreporting, it may be 100,000 breakthrough cases. So we know the vaccine immunity is in a sense faulty that patients can get the infection again. And then we also don't know if the vaccine immunity is durable. We know the antibodies trail down over time. And if the cellular immunity uh, is not robust, which it's not, then we, I would infer that after two, three, four, five months, the vaccine provides no benefit. And our Vaccine stakeholders, I think, tend to agree because they're already talking about boosters. For COVID-19, I think the thinking is, you know, let's vaccinate children or people who we shouldn't vaccinate 
in order to protect others. And this is very, very dangerous thinking. The vaccine is only to prevent the infection in the person getting the vaccine. So for example, my vaccination status does not impact another person's health. Right, your vaccine status is your own personal health information. It's protected by HIPAA, the Health uh, Insurance uh, Portability and Accountability Act. It's nobody else's business whether or not you've taken the vaccine. I mean, one could make the claim that this is the most unsafe vaccination program in the history of America and certainly the history of the world. Over 4,400 deaths, over 14,000 hospitalizations after vaccination. This is unprecedented in medical history. What I am struck with is how people in their minds can come up with the same conclusion. How can hospital administrators in their mind come up with the conclusion that they should mass vaccinate their employees? How did that get in their mind? The CDC is not asking for it. The CDC and the FDA say it's voluntary. Everyone's saying it's voluntary. How does the human mind say, okay, let's, uh, we see this happening. It looks like the vaccines are failing. Uh, the safety data doesn't look good at all. Let's mass vaccinate people. H how does that decision get in the mind of executives to roll that down to their employees and the employees respond in sheer terror? What is the psychology of that? What's in the minds of leaders in New York to say, okay, we got these vaccines. It looks like they're failing. We're in an outbreak of Delta. The safety data look not good at all. We haven't had, we haven't had a single safety report yet. Let's ask everybody in New York to just take the vaccine in order to go to a restaurant. That is the question. What is in the minds of people? What is in, what is in the minds of a doctor to tell a pregnant woman to take a vaccine like this? It is, I think the best way to characterize it, it's a disturbia. It is, it, it is maybe a group neurosis. It is something that's come over the minds of people all over the world. And I tell you, whatever's going on is going on in the tiniest island of the Philippines and in Indonesia, the, the smallest little village in Africa and South America, it's all the same. It's come over the entire world.